0: Hi, <laughs> so it's perfect that I'm coming here in a whole kind of mission series on to the ends of the earth because I live full time on the mission field, it's called Seattle, so that's where home is for us and, uh, and my wife teaches in the public school. And we've got three kids, and one in college, one in high school, one in middle school. My wife teaches elementary school, so there's a whole lot of herding cats going on in our our family. Yes, my passion is, as simply as I can put it, my passion is helping people move from should to want when it comes to reading and studying the Bible. Because I find that for most people that fill up our churches every weekend... For most people, the Bible is the one aspect of their life with Jesus that is more of a should than a want, We want to come and gather in community. We want to sing and worship together. We want to hear good preaching. We want to gather in small groups. We want to eat meals together. Totally expecting an amen right there. and. We want to make a difference in our community. We want, and then somebody brings up the Bible, and we go, yeah, I should read that more. I should be more consistent. We probably should talk about it as a family. It's the one, it's the one thing that for so many people, we believe it's true, but believing it's true and wanting to read it are two different things. And, and my, my goal for this morning is very simple and massive at the same time. I want this to be the day when you took the first or next step toward want. I want the next time you read your Bible, I want you to like it more. Not just believe it more, not just trust it more, not just apply it more. Those are all wonderful and necessary things, but actually enjoy it more. Because I find that if we don't find a way of reading and studying the Bible that we enjoy, it's going to be hard to be consistent. Like, for example, take exercise, right? I, we, I, I know what running is, right? And I know that it's a reliable form of exercise, just like I know what the Bible is. It's God's Word. It's true. I know that it's reliable, right? I know that we can trust it, and it's been passed on. What we have in English is what was originally. I, I believe it's reliable. And, and, and with running, I also know that it makes a difference, that it's practical, that it has application to my, that I know that when I run, I feel better, look better, sleep better, have less stress, better husband, better father, all those kinds of things. Uh, just like when I apply what's in scripture, I know my life is better. There's the practical piece. I totally hate running. Anybody with me? I was expecting another amen from somebody, but uh, <laughs> but it's something that if you just if you put a pickleball paddle in my hand or a tennis racket in my hand or a soccer ball at my feet, I'll run for an hour or two. Not even thinking about it because I love it. But if you tell me to go for a run, I'm winded by the mailbox, right? I'm just like I've done. I hate it, and I find that for so many of us. We, we know what the Bible is, we trust it and we believe that it's reliable, and we know that it's better if we live it out, but we haven't found a way of reading and studying it that we love. And I can actually point to the night, the reason I can say I want this morning, I want October 16th of 2022 to be your April 18th, 1993 for me. I can point to the night when the should started to change to want to me, for me. I was, it's not the day that I fell in love with Jesus. I was actually a full-time youth and worship pastor at a small church plant, and, uh, becoming a youth pastor is what you do when you graduate from college and you don't feel like growing up. So, Eric. Yeah. If he gives you any other reason. Yes, I love teenagers. And, uh, but uh, <laughs> but it was something, I was a full-time youth and worship pastor in Tacoma, Washington. A few days prior, I was having lunch with a buddy of mine who was a youth pastor at another church in town, and, and he said to me, he said, Keith, I don't know what to make of this. There's this guy coming to our church Sunday night who has memorized the entire Gospel of Luke. And he gets up on stage with no sets, no props, no costumes, no other actors and actresses, and he quotes it. And while he quotes it, he kind of acts it out. Well, as you might imagine, the first thought that went through my head was, that's a lot. (laughs) Right? The second thought, which I actually said out loud, was, are people really going to sit and listen to that for almost two hours? I mean I wasn't trying to be disrespectful or sacrilegious or anything but my idea about what memorized quoted scripture sounded like you know brought me back to my elementary school days growing up in Salina Kansas where once a year they would stand in the second grade Sunday school class up in front of big church and one at a time really frightened eight-year-olds would go John 3.16, for God's love the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life 3.16. Right? And then the next kid. John 3.16, for God's love the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever... Hi, Mom. Right, yeah. Anybody ever seen this happen? There's this total disconnect for me between memorized, quoted Scripture and good drama. But I figured if anybody could make it somewhat interesting, it would be this guy. His name is Bruce Kuhn, and he had been in the Broadway cast of Lay Mis, which I hear is above average. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so I went, quite honestly, no great spiritual motivation. I went for two reasons. One, support my buddy who was on staff at the church, and two, to see if somebody could do it. I, I'd never heard of anything like this. And so I sat in a place where I could leave at intermission, because I thought that after about an hour of listening to somebody quote the Bible, I'd be done. And not only did I stay for the whole thing, but the best way that I can describe what happened for me on April 18th, 1993 is the living word of God went from being a phrase to a reality. And I find as I travel around the world for most people the living word of God is a phrase they desperately wish was a reality. It has nothing to do with whether people believe it's true or not. Believing something's true and believing something's alive are two very different things. <laughs> And so I ended up going up to Bruce afterwards, and I said, hey, Bruce, they they mentioned you were going to be in Seattle from New York for the whole week doing presentations. They didn't say anything about tomorrow. Can I take you to lunch? He said, sure. So the next day, I picked him up at noon and dropped him back off at his hotel at 9 p.m. No joke. Spent the whole day together. And he just started talking about the Bible very differently than anybody I'd ever heard before. He started saying things like, well, what if instead of studying this little piece and this little piece and this little piece and then memorizing this verse and this verse and this verse, what if you just took a book of the Bible and you just soaked in it until you know it? And when you know it, you move on. And I'm like, okay, I've heard my whole life about studying the Bible and memorizing verses. I've never heard anybody talk about soaking in it and hanging out with it, right? So I took him up on his challenge. He had done Luke. So I want to do something different. So I chose Philippians. And for that summer of 93, I just decided I was going to read Philippians every day. I read Philippians, the next day I read Philippians again, the next day I read Philippians again, and, you know, don't be impressed, that's a 15-minute commitment. And I read Philippians, but it only took a few days before I realized that for the first time in my life I was reading this letter the way you would actually read a letter. I had read Philippians before, but it had always been a four-day deal. Why? Because it's four chapters. And chapter a day keeps the devil away. <laughs> right? I, well, I don't, <laughs> but you've heard that Philippians is a letter? If, if you got home tomorrow and in your mailbox, there was an envelope with your name handwritten on the outside and the name of somebody you love you haven't seen in a few years in the upper left-hand corner, and you opened it up and there was a four-page handwritten letter that fell out And the first line on page one is, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. You know, would you read page one and go, whew, I'm spent. I better save page two for tomorrow, right? No, you'd read the whole thing, realize you're still standing by your mailbox. You should probably go inside, right? And I just read Philippians and read Philippians and read Philippians, and I realized I was starting to make connections I had never made. I started understanding it better than I ever had. I looked forward to it. I was enjoying being in the Word. I was looking forward to the next day, and then I got to the end of the summer, and I was driving down the street, and I was thinking through Philippians, and as I was thinking through Philippians, I realized I had just spoken two to three paragraphs without making a mistake, and I went, memorizing Scripture without trying. I like this. This is good, right? Memorizing had always been really hard for me, but I Typically persevered because there was candy involved, and uh, so. <laughs> but I realized that I hadn't just memorized it; I had internalized it. It was now a part of me. It was that summer of '93. I stopped using the word memorization and started using the word internalization, because I think the goal should be to know the word, not just to know the words. And I wanted to know it. I wanted to understand it. But yes, I also knew it and could could meditate on it. I understood what meditating on Scripture is all about, because I could actually think about it at a time other than when I had my Bible in my hand, which is kind of when you need it, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but typically for me, the most difficult times to live out what I find in this book, it's not typically during my quiet time. It's typically when I'm out in the world dealing with these things called people. That's when it's hard, right? And so, I ended up realizing I knew Philippians and I decided that I wanted to know the life of Jesus like that. And I decided in 94, I would make one New Year's resolution and that was to internalize the Gospel of John. I was just gonna read the Gospel of John over and over again until I know it. And so most days I'd read 20, 30 minutes. Some days I'd read 45 minutes or an hour, but most days were around 30 minutes and I would just read. And when I got to the end of the Gospel of John, which takes about two hours to read, then I would just flip back 25, 30 pages and I'd start over. I just read it and read it and read it and read it. Got to about Thanksgiving and I realized I knew the whole gospel of John. And a few different things happened. I saw Bruce again. He came back into town. He encouraged me to, uh, to start sharing it. And, and, I, and it wasn't a hard sell because I had to share it because it no longer sounded the same in my head. John didn't sound like In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. That's not how it sounded anymore. It sounded a little bit more like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness darkness has not overcome it now there came a man who was sent from God his name is John he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might believe he himself was not the light he came only as a witness to the light the true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amen? First 18 verses of the Gospel of John. The living word of God is a reality, not a phrase. And so, how do we do that? How do we, because if we're going to go to the ends of the earth, if we're going to actually have God's eyes to see the people that we're serving, I believe that we learn to have God's eyes by soaking in God's word, right? And so, I'm going to give you a handful of tips. The first two have to do with mindset, and the last few have to do with what we do when we actually have our Bible in our hands. So the first, from a mindset, this might be the most important thing you hear today. We need to start reading the Bible relationally, not informationally. The purpose of the Bible is not to teach you how to live so you can live a life that honors and glorifies God. That sounds good. That happens when we read the Bible. It's just not the purpose of the Bible. This is the only book that has ever been written in the history of bookdom with the sole purpose of drawing into a relationship with its author. The purpose of this book is relational, not informational. Here's an example that, I'm not saying there's not information in here. Is there information in here? Sure. Is there guidance for life? Yep. Sure, it's all in there. But maybe this will help. So Anthony and I met over email probably a month ago, about three weeks ago. We had a Zoom conversation, and, and I think that... And then we've had a conversation for about a half an hour this morning when I arrived. I think that if I moved here to Ashland, Anthony and I would be friends. Amen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the first amen in the morning. Thank you so much. And I'm just totally kidding. And uh, so let's say that I moved here, and we decided, hey, let's have a cup of coffee once a week before work. Over the course of the weeks to come, when Anthony and I got together, would we learn some information about each other, right? What brought us to Ashland? Have we always lived here? How did we meet our wives? How many kids? I know that he's got four kids. Almost. And yeah, and, and I've got three, and mine are like a little bit older than him. We, we've already learned some information about each other. We would learn more information. What, you know, what sports teams do you root for, and what, what technology gadgets do you like, and what music do you listen to, and what else are you into? Do you like to cook? What, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? You know, important things. We would learn lots of information about each other. So imagine week one, I showed up, and we got our coffee, we sat down in the comfy chairs, and how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Okay. And then I pulled out my notepad and written across the top, it said, 42 things I need to know about Anthony for him to be my friend. And I started asking him, so how'd you meet your wife? What are the names of your kids? How old are they? What sports teams do you like? Did you always live here? You know, I started asking him the questions. Now, Anthony's a nice guy, so he'd probably answer the questions, but what's the chance of him showing up week two? Right. Not really good, right? I'd text him and be like, Hey, I had a great time last week. Are we on for tomorrow? And he'd text back, Sorry man, something came up. I'm busy forever. Right. But don't we do that to God all the time? We pick up our Bible, we pick up our devotional book, and maybe our journal, and we read the part of scripture we're supposed to read, and then we read the little devotional about it, and then there's some questions we're supposed to answer, and so we answer the questions, and once we're done answering the questions, we close our devotional book and we close our Bible and We must be done. And sometimes I think we leave our time with God having spent no time with God at all. Something I heard my whole life growing up, maybe some of you have heard this too. Has anybody ever heard somebody say something like this? God has something to teach you every day. You ever heard that? It's not true. (laughs) I thought it was true for 30 years. It's not true. Here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. Some of you are like, who is this heretic from Seattle? <laughs> yeah. Hang with me. I only have another hour and a half. Um, how many parents are in this room? Let me ask you this. Are there some days when you teach your kids something? Are there days when you discipline them? Or correct, are there some days when you comfort them? Are there days when you encourage them or inspire them to be more than they would be on their own? Does that all happen as a parent? Are there some days when you just play catch? Are there days when you go to the park? Or you watch a movie? Or you bake some cookies? Or go for a hike? Let me ask you, parents, are those days less valuable? No way, right? Wouldn't you actually say that those days are foundational for them receiving your instruction, receiving your comfort, receiving your correction? Those days are foundational. So why is it that we believe that every single time we go to God... He's got something to teach us. If He's our Heavenly Father, in fact, if Jesus said, call Him Abba, which is Daddy, then I think that sometimes He wants us to read this and just enjoy the read. I'm not saying asking the question, what is the truth to apply in this passage? I'm not saying that's a bad question to ask. I'm saying that if you enjoy the read and you haven't discovered the nugget of truth to apply, you have not wasted your time. Some days I think God wants you to read this book and not learn anything. Sometimes I think he just wants to hang out with you and just remind you that this isn't just the good book. It's a good book. It's really good. It's a really good story. It just happens to be true. I mean, look at the Gospels. I know this, is, this whole series is built around Matthew 28 and, and Acts 1. Read Matthew and read Acts. I mean, you, look, you look at the Gospels. What are they? From a story perspective, aren't they just four accounts of 13 guys on a three-year road trip? And one of the guys claimed to be God. That's unbelievable. Oh, and most of the scholars will tell you that somewhere between a quarter and a third of the disciples were likely teenagers. Ever gone on a road trip with teenagers? (laughs) Funny stuff happens. Reading the Gospels should be challenging, encouraging, inspiring, and fun. When we read it relationally. Second, mindset piece. Anybody here ever struggle with their mind wandering when they read the Bible? Anybody not like to raise their hand in public? Right. I find that other than struggling to find a consistent, a, a consistent rhythm to reading the Bible, I find that mind wandering is probably the number two most common struggle I hear about. And, and I don't know about you, but it's super frustrating for me because I can read a novel for an hour or two completely ignoring all responsibility. <laughs> but I open up the Bible and I'm just like going to, and all of a sudden my mind's somewhere else and I'm looking at words on the page but my mind is somewhere else you ever had that happen when and so I am going to start over you wait I'm going to start over right where I was before and I'm going to I'm going to focus I'm going to concentrate my mind is going to stay squirrel right and yeah <laughs> uh, right anybody with me on that so frustrating And this was something that even after I had internalized Philippians and internalized John, and I was already presenting John on a regular daily basis, I was struggling with the wandering mind. And I had a day when I I couldn't get not just a couple chapters, I couldn't get a couple paragraphs in before my mind was all over the place. And finally, I just closed my Bible, I'm driving to the next event, and I am just frustrated. I'm venting to God. Maybe somebody else has had this conversation with God before. God, what is wrong with me? Why can't I focus? I love you, I love your word, I know it's amazing, why is it that I can't focus? And at one point in my rant, I stopped to inhale, and God said, I'd like to talk now. And he gave me this this vision that has forever helped me with this. So (laughs) as frightened as you are right now, go with me into my brain. I was a running back on a football team, and we were on the 20-yard line, had 80 yards to go, and my number had been called. I knew that I was getting the ball, and I had done everything I was supposed to do. I had been in the weight room, I was in shape, I had memorized the playbook, I knew exactly which way the quarterback was going to turn, I knew where my hole was that I was supposed to run through, I knew what blockers I was supposed to follow, and I had visualized the end zone. I could see the six points on the board, the crowd, the whole thing. Sure enough, ball gets snapped, quarterback turns exactly as I'm expecting. I grab the ball, there's my hole, exactly where I'm expecting. I run through it, there are my blockers, exactly where I'm expecting, and I start following down the field. I get five yards down, I get 12 yards down, I get 23 yards down, I get 34 yards down, and then bam, I got leveled, and I'm laying there on my back, stars are swirling around, I'm mumbling to myself, why am I not in the end zone, I'd like to be in the end zone, so the end zone would be awesome, this hurts, right, I mean, and, and a buddy comes over to help me up, and he hears me mumbling these questions and he says, well, hey man, there is somebody playing defense. (laughs) You ever thought about that? Every single time you pick this up, there's somebody playing defense. There's somebody who's trying to actively make sure that you don't like it. There's somebody who's actively trying to distract you, actively trying to convince you that John Grisham and Karen Kingsbury are better authors than God. So you might as well just Read your five minutes so that you can check it off, but then you should go get to your novel. Right? And the attack actually starts before you ever pick up the Bible. It's like the smack talk before the big game. Right? The first, the first attack is, have you seen your to-do list? You do not have time for this today. Are you kidding me? You don't remember what you read yesterday. Why do you think this today is going to be any better? You were bored out of your mind yesterday. You think the Bible is going to all of a sudden get amazing? I mean, the. the smack talk just starts and the attack starts and then they those keep coming so we need to not only read relationally we need to read strategically we need to recognize that there is a defense and we need to develop a strategy for beating them we need to recognize there needs to be some adapting that happens in the middle of the game there there will still be times just like a running back who develops a strategy for not getting tackled still gets tackled sometimes and has to readjust and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you'll never, ever have your mind wander again once you recognize that. I'm saying you will get to the place where you can get a chapter down, two chapters down. You'll find a day, oh my goodness, I just read for 10 chapters. That was amazing. And then you'll have a day when your mind wanders after three paragraphs and you'll recognize what's going on. And you'll stop and you'll pray, you'll talk to the coach right? Keep the analogy going. We need to read relationally, we need to read strategically. Here's the other, now I want to move into what do you do when you actually have your Bible in your hands? I think the, the number one thing that you can do from a practice, a process standpoint, is we need to read more. Not just read more consistently, I'm talking about read more quantity. When we read more our, our brains enter a different space. We start to make connections and see things. Like, does anybody here like movies? Like, you like twisty, turny movies, and who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? And in the last scene, it was the dog, right? Yeah, I, I love movies. So let's say that, that I put a movie up on here, and at the end of scene one, I pushed pause and I said, let's discuss. Okay, so that was awkward. Um, play. Let's watch scene two. Pause. Let's discuss. Would that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing so we could just dive deep into our discussion? No, it wouldn't take very long before a couple of the bigger guys in the room are like, put down the remote. <laughs> We're going to watch the movie. After we've watched the movie, I don't mind having a conversation about one scene, one plot twist, one character, one card chase. I don't I'm fine having a conversation about a piece of it, but I kind of want to watch the movie because studying a scene without watching the movie makes no sense. But I believe that one of the biggest problems we have, one of the reasons that most of us don't remember, don't understand, don't enjoy God's Word is that we study the Bible like we're studying the scenes of a movie we've never watched. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Here's what I'd like you to do. If you've ever heard that, I'd like you to put your hand up in the air and keep it up. If you've ever heard that, okay? And I want you to keep your hand up in the air if you can tell me what book of the Bible that's in. Anybody know? 2 Timothy. Hands go down, right? We we know the scene. We've heard sermons on fighting the good fight and finishing the race. We've seen it show up in chapters of books and on posters and encouragement cards and all that. We've, see, we've seen that scene a lot. But if we ever watched the movie of 2 Timothy, which, by the way, the entire, to sit down and read the entire book of 2 Timothy would take you a whopping 11 or 12 minutes. That's not speed reading. That's like reading out loud at a normal rate of speed. It's two. It might spill onto the third page in your Bible. But it's also the last letter we have from the Apostle Paul. Yes, he's in prison. He was in prison a lot. But this time, he doesn't say like in Philippians, where he says, I am confident that I will come soon, as he says in chapter 2 of Philippians. In 2 Timothy, he says, the time has come for my departure. He's on death row, and he knows he's not getting out this time. Oh, by the way, when you read 2 Timothy, you're eavesdropping. Paul didn't write it for you. Now, God in his sovereignty had Paul write that for you. But when Paul was writing it, he wasn't writing to the church in Philippi or the churches in Galatia. He was writing to Timothy, my dear son. You're eavesdropping on a conversation that God wanted you to. I mean, Timothy obviously shared it, and then here we go. Take 2 Timothy and read it every day for the next 30 days and watch what happens. Devote 12 minutes a day to reading 2 Timothy and shoot me an email on November 16th and tell me if you ever read, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith the same again. The connections that you will make, the things that you will see. Because here's, there, I was reading a study that was done on reading in general. Like how long it takes to read before you kind of, your brain kicks into that storytelling mode. You know, when you see the characters and hear their voices and the whole thing that happens that you ever read a novel and then seen the movie based on the novel, you've had that experience the casting director is always an idiot. True, right? Am I the only one who is audibly said at a movie screen, are you kidding? A person was taller, shorter, blonde hair, brown hair, whatever. That wasn't even a girl, whatever. And uh, <laughs> you know, I've had, it's frustrating, but it, they say that it takes about 10 minutes of reading anything before your brain kicks into that mode. Okay, so I'm just going to hang that little piece of research on this hook right here. I'm going to hang that there. Now, the three most common ways people read the Bible. By far, number one, nothing's even close to this, number one by far is using a devotional book. The average section of scripture, the actual reading of scripture in a devotional book is somewhere between 30 and 60 up to 90 seconds of actual scripture reading of the devotional passage for the day. Second most common is the way that I was raised, chapter a day. You're supposed to read a chapter the next day, read the next chapter, the next day read the next chapter, and work your way through a gospel or Paul's letters or Peter's letters, whatever it is. Chapter a day. The average chapter of Scripture read out loud at a normal rate of speed will take you between three and four minutes. People that want a really, really big Bible reading challenge, read the Bible in a year. Right? Anybody ever started that? Anybody ever quit in February? right? Most people, it's six weeks. They quit in the middle of February. The average scripture reading, unless you're doing a one-year Bible that has a whole bunch of other things added to it, the actual time you're reading scripture in a one-year Bible reading plan is between 11 and 12 minutes. So I'm not talking about from a believing it, trusting it, applying it, understanding. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about from an enjoying it and getting into where your brain just naturally understands and enjoys what you're reading. From an enjoyment standpoint, most people, a vast majority, 85 to 95% of people who read the Bible don't ever come close to getting the place where their brain would start to enjoy it, and the people who do quit within two minutes. From a brain science standpoint, we're actually training our brains not to enjoy reading the Bible. This has nothing to do with trusting it, believing it. Can you hear that Clearly. I'm talking about enjoying it. When we read 10 minutes, we start to see things differently. All parts of the Bible don't always sound the same. Like if you read Philippians and you read Galatians and they sound the same in your head, you're reading incorrectly. Right? Yes, they're both letters. Yes, they're both by the Apostle Paul. They're approximately the same length and the same general area of your Bible, They both have a little greeting at the top, but the very first thing he says in Philippians, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Right. Group hug, right? Galatians, the very first thing he says, after the little greeting at the top, the very first thing, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God? Are you still trying to please people? Are I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Oh my goodness, When you read Philippians, you should feel like you've been hugged. When you read Galatians, you should be a little sore. But we read these little bits. Our brains never kick into that storytelling mode, and there's this guy who jumps into our brain and reads our Bible for us. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mr. Monotone? Mr. Monotone, ever read your Bible for you? I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in your every prayer. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and returned to a dig for gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Oh, he said gospel twice. I should look that up. Right? Read more. And I encourage you to read out loud. Read the Bible like you're reading Curious George to a five year old and watch what happens. It just comes alive differently. People say, but I read faster when I read silently, to which I, as kindly as I can say, so what? <laughs> is the goal to get through it, or is the goal to hang out with Jesus? I go back to point one, which is it's reading relationally, not informationally. Last couple pieces. Is any, we need to read alone. What I mean by read alone, I'm not talking about just alone in your room. I'm talking about, does anybody here have a study Bible with more notes on the page than actual scripture? I've got study Bibles. I love my study Bibles. When I'm first entering into a passage, I put my study Bible away and I pick up this Bible. I had to buy a specific Bible that has no notes on the bottom. It has the numbers so I can find things, whatever, but I I I had to because I'm a recovering ping pong reader. Here's how you'll know whether you can join me, whether whether you're also a ping pong reader. When you're reading in your study Bible and you see a bold letter A, do you feel a moral obligation to go ping down to the bottom, read what it says down there, pong back up to the top, and you read, and then you see a bold letter B, ping down to the bottom, pong back up to the top. Any ping pong readers in here? Right? <laughs> so for me, I couldn't just say, okay, I'm just going to read Scripture. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I had to buy another Bible because I, just, I love all the notes and the charts and the graphs. I, I love it but I had to do something different. Because I think when we're always going to the notes, when we're always going to the commentary, when we're always going to our favorite video teacher on YouTube, whatever, when, when we're always listening to somebody else, every single time we go to God's Word, we subtly start to believe the lie, I can't understand the Bible unless somebody explains it to me. And I think that grieves the heart of God. And the last tip for the morning, whatever you do, don't read alone. What are you talking about? You just had to read along. Yeah, read along. But don't read along because if you really want to build a lifelong, enjoyable relationship with God through his word, you need to have other people that you're discussing the Bible with. We're designed to be in community. We're designed to talk about things. Anything we talk about, we get more interested in and we get more consistent at. I'll just end with this analogy. Does anybody here like to watch football? Okay. Do you like to watch the game alone sometimes? Are you okay watching the game alone? When you watch the game alone, do you make sure that you keep it on mute so you don't hear what anybody else has to say about it? And do you make sure that you never have a conversation about the game with anybody else afterwards because it just has to be your own experience? No, the fun part is, like tomorrow I will have a conversation with somebody about why I am a way better coach for the Seahawks than Pete Carroll. I know that he's paid millions, and I know that he's done it for three decades, but he's an idiot every Monday. <laughs> I'm brilliant when it comes to football. <laughs> right? I love to have that conversation. If I could never talk to anybody about, about football, and I could only watch the game alone, and I had to watch it on mute, it wouldn't take very long before I was watching no more football. But for most of us, our experience with the Bible is we sit here at church, and we listen to one person talk about it, or we read it by ourselves alone and we never talk about it with anybody. If you want to move from should to want when it comes to reading and studying the Bible, read it relationally. Read it strategically. Read more of it out loud. Read alone. And whatever you do, don't read alone. Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person here in Riverview. What a great place. God, I pray that as they uh, serve each other in this church community, in their marriages, in their families, in the youth ministry, children's ministry, in the community, um, with the different things they're doing, with the Harvest Festival, all this, God, as we develop eyes for the world, eyes for the ends of the earth, God is... I pray that you would help each of us to enjoy your word more. So we want to spend more time in it. And as we spend more time in your word, may you give us your eyes to see the world the way that you would have us see the world and serve them with the love that only comes from you. In the beautiful name of Jesus, amen.